I guess it would help if I hit the unmute button. Hello, everybody. I got two guests coming on to the stream tonight. Uh, I guess they figured since I'm an atheist, I would be the most neutral in the debate <laughs> because we have a Catholic versus a Protestant on the topic of faith alone. And I'm not going to try to give you what I mean by that, even though I know what it means. I'll let them explain it themselves. Uh, and I will go over the rules here in just a minute. But first, I want to let them in and then everything will be timed and we'll have different like cross-examination, opening statements, rebuttals, all that good stuff. Uh, some of you will recognize the first person here, the Catholic, my residential Catholic, Alpha. And then other than him will also be the Protestant Found Calls. Both channels are linked in the description. So Found Calls, uh, this is not your opening statement, but please, by all means, introduce yourself, your position, and what you want to say to the interwebs. All right. Well, in lieu of uh, the real opening statement, I'm Michael from the Found Calls. Uh, we run a small YouTube channel uh, talking all things theology. Uh, we ran a series of a uh, couple things. One of them is a reaction. I think this is where Alpha first came in as a reaction to uh, a a other Christian channel called Capturing Christianity, where the maker was Protestant, and then he had a conversion to Catholicism. So we did a response video to that and why we believed it was wrong. And we hold to a position as a Protestant faith that you are saved by faith alone, and Catholics don't hold to that. And that is what we would point to and say is the real dividing line. There are plenty of differences between Catholics and Protestants, but that's the one that I care about. And so we talked about it at length in that video, and Alpha was a commenter. And so we thought, why not strike up a debate? And, and instead of just responding to somebody who can't respond back to us, I want to talk to a real Catholic and see what they have to say. All right, very good. And Alpha, tell us about yourself and I also show yourself. That I think I've already won. I've been called a real Catholic. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, okay, so I am Rome. I am Catholic. I am of the Catholic Church. Um, I am a philosopher, uh, not academically inclined at all, just a little associate's degree. Uh, I've been doing YouTube for seven years, started off as a martial arts channel, got shadow banned when all that stuff happened with Thing and Than, and I've been doing philosophy and religion ever since, including my very popular uh, Catholic Reads the Quran series. And I am now uh, in the midst of going through the Council of Trent and the Osberg Confession. All right, very good. So how this is going to work is uh, each, uh, 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 each of them will get a 10-minute opening statement followed by five-minute rebuttals and then 10-minute cross-examination for each followed by five-minute closing statements. This should wrap up at about uh, 10.30, which is uh, oh, that's maybe a little past 10.30 since we did run kind of late getting this started. But give or take 10.30 Eastern, it should be over. And uh, I already forgot who is going first. When ready or whoever is ready, I will get the timer. Just let me know when and I will set it for the uh, 10 minutes. And then uh, can you read the opening statement as well? Or the, uh, oh, the opening passage yes. as well? I do apologize. Yeah, yes. No okay. So this is from Ephesians uh two verses one through 10. Actually, I could share the screen. No, I don't have that set up, sorry. Okay, and it says, and I quote, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins 
in which you previously walked according to the ways of, of this world, according to the ruler of the power of the air, the spirit now working in the disobedient. We too all previously lived among them in our fleshly desires, carrying out the inclinations of our flesh and thoughts we were given, uh, thoughts we were by nature, uh, given by nature under the wrath of the others who were also. We too all previously lived among them, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love that he had for us, made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in our trespasses. You are saved by grace. He also raised, uh, raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might display the immeasurable richness of his grace through his kindness to us in, in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is God's gift, not from works so that no one can boast. For, for we are... Excuse me, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of uh, time for us to do. And uh, I will also link that in the side chat what the Bible verse is. And did, did I need to read? Uh, oh, I'm sorry. That's not for me. <laughs> okay. And that is the passage again. That is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 through 10. And with that said, Michael, when you're ready, you let me know and I'll set the timer. All right, I'm ready. All right, go for it. And I'm going to mute myself. All right, well, thank you again. I think it always warrants a thank yous to Alpha and Gur for, for having this debate. Like I said in the very beginning, that uh, this is something that Protestants hold very dear. I hold very dear personally to my heart as a center of the faith. It's not just this passage. This Ephesians passage was just one that me and Alpha could agree on as something that was speaking to the, the pertinent issue that I find the main difference between Catholics and Protestants. And so I'm glad we could speak on a lot of this text today. This text primarily, if you noticed, is talking about this, that we are saved by God's work alone. And that's ultimately what saves us. And so my affirmative position in this debate is that it is faith by grace through by God's grace that we are saved ultimately and again in the context of the passage saved means being justified by God in the end that is the ultimate dividing line I believe between Alpha's position and my own and between the Catholic faith and the Protestant faith there are many other things that could divide us but this is the one that I believe the entire issue hinges on and a lot of the other things are just secondary and that is why we chose to debate this there were plenty of topics that we could have brought up and I'm thankful for Ramon for agreeing to this one, because again, this is what I think is most important. I'll lastly say, just to frame the debate, I believe that proper exegesis, proper reading of a text, usually does not involve going to different passages. Of course it can, and we believe the whole of the Bible is consistent with itself, so you can go to other passages, and they should be. Um, we also believe that the ancient faith is the same faith that we have today. It's developed over time, absolutely. Um, but ancient fathers can also be quoted. I'm, probably often will do that, knowing the historian and the, you know, his history. Um, I also know church fathers, but just note that I'll have a conspicuous lack of them in my opening just because I would like to stick to the text and what does the text mean? Because what both me and Alpha agree is that the word of God is true. And so when we read through this text, it should be consistent with itself. And that's what I'll be focusing on. So if you see somebody going to many other scriptures, some is fine, but a lot of them, they're probably having difficulty reading through the text at hand. With that said, I'd like to read through the text in my own way and show you 
the Protestant position and how I think this is an infallible way to prove that God is the source of our salvation, not man. First of all, you'll see in the very opening portion of the passage that Paul refers to us as once dead in sin. I'll quote it again. The Spirit is now in work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. I want to notice two things here. One, that we were once children of wrath under God's wrath and his judgment. Um, Once being the key word there, we are no longer those who are Christians. And the fact that he says, like the rest of mankind, meaning there is a separate group of people who are still under God's wrath. That wrath is rich in justice because God is just and he must show wrath on wickedness. Thankfully, we both agree in the gospel on that Jesus has taken that wrath of God and instead we are free in him. As the text says, the next verse in four, but God being rich in mercy and because of the great love by which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you've been saved. This, something you should note here, is that not only were we dead, but God picked us. He loved us while we were still dead. So we did not do something to earn this salvation. We didn't earn the grace of God by understanding something about him. There's nothing in this text that says the those who were dead in their trespasses did anything to elicit this grace from God. And I'll continue. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in heavenly places in Christ Jesus, that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace and kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. That is the hope of the gospel, and to any who's listening, atheist, Catholic, Protestant, remember that this is the core of the Christian message. That is that we were once dead. Anybody who's listening has sinned against God and would be dead, except that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, and any who believes in him has eternal life. And we raised up, as the text says, to the heavenly places in Christ Jesus to show God's riches in mercy and kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. And note that he always echoes this in Christ Jesus. It's not just his kindness towards us because of our works, but instead because of the work of Jesus Christ. Lastly, and I think this is the key portion of the text that we're reading today, verse 8 says, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one can boast. This is the core of the issue. Not only has Paul shown that we are all children of wrath, and then secondly, God is the one that chose us and brought us out while we were still dead, but he explains this, elucidates it by saying, it is by grace, God's grace, that we have been saved. And this saved is corresponding to being raised up in the heavenly places. It's not the kind of saved that is also referred to in the Bible, that is, we're saved through childbearing, like Paul says about women, they're saved through childbearing, or saved through good works, both of which are valid ways to use saved, saved through baptism as well. A lot of things can save you in a certain sense, but this is a saving that results in being raised up to the heavenly places, which is an entirely different kind of saving than the lesser ones that Paul refers to in other texts. So I want to focus on this being a salvation that brings you to Christ in heaven. And this salvation is by grace. It's fully a gift of God, grace being a gift word. It's not earned. And that it's through faith. And again, I want to reiterate my position here. The way to God is through faith. And it is a grace of God that we even have this faith. It's not our own doing, meaning it's not by our works and obedience to God, which are true and necessary. It's not by those works that we are saved. It is truly just a gift of God that he gives to a certain elect people that we are saved. Again, I'll reiterate the verse. The next verse of Paul says, not a result of works. So this is a gift of God. It's not our own doing. It is not a result of works so that no one may boast. I want to emphasize this too. He could say that no one should boast because boasting is a sin, it's pride, but he does not. 
he says no one may boast. And that is because you cannot even boast if you had nothing to do with your salvation, if it was entirely from God. Whereas if it was 99% from God, he did all the work except for the accepting of him, you would be able to boast because the difference between a believer and a non-believer would then be the fact that the believer chose God and the unbeliever didn't. Instead, Paul says that you may not even boast because it's entirely a work of God, of which I say wholeheartedly amen. And lastly, this issue, sola fide, some would call it after the, the five solas of the Protestant Reformation, sola fide, only faith, we are saved through only faith, by only grace, sola gratia is another one of the solas, it has been attacked by Roman Catholics and other groups alike as a easy believism, that all you have to do is believe in Christ and then you can fornicate a thousand times over, as Luther himself said, and still be saved. I agree that any amount of sin can be covered by Christ. He is able to save to the uttermost any he chooses to save. However, we always balance this sola fide, you are saved through faith, with the call to do good works. And as you see Paul does too in the very last section of this passage, he says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. That is, God prepared us good works before us. So again, we cannot boast these are good works that God has prepared on our behalf. So every good work we do in life is from God, is prepared before us. But we should walk in them. So there are things we should walk in. And any Christian that does not walk in good works is probably not a Christian at all, as the Lord says repeatedly in the Gospels. What you should note here, too, is that these works are flowing out of the fact that we Christians have already received this faith, this salvation. They don't flow into the salvation. They aren't a part of the reason that somebody is saved. They entirely flow out of this gift of God. These are very typical Protestant arguments, so I look forward to seeing how Alpha responds to them. But again, I think this is a clear exegesis of the text, and I did not have to go to other places in the Bible, which we could to reiterate these points. Um, but which one of us has a clear exegesis of the text is up to the viewer to decide. Thank you. I yield my time. Nice. You actually had two minutes to spare, so that's awesome. Okay. So, Alpha, when you're ready, you let me know, and I'll set the timer. Okay. Uh, I'm ready now. Go. Thank you, Found Cause. Thank you, Gar. God's nature is love. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is speaking of two kingdoms, not of dualities, but of opposites. A true eternal kingdom of life, an absolute form of ultimate reality, ruled by an uncreated creator through love, mercy, faith, and grace. And that we are now members of this eternal kingdom. We were made citizens by grant of the Lord. And as active members of this eternal kingdom, we must now do the works required of that kingdom. And through the acts of good works, our faith grows. Contrasted with that other kingdom, this reality, this world, which is of nothingness, or temporary, like a kingdom of air, ruled by a created being, and membership in this earthly, fleshly kingdom is earned by acts such as desire, lust, trespass, and sin. As such, if we choose this reality as our true home, we live in jealousy and resentment. And through the anxiety and despair we experience is birth, wrath, and rage, madness, and chaos, which leads to true death. The reason we should not fear this true death, the reason we should not despair in this temporary kingdom, is as it is put in Ephesians 2, verse 10. For we are what he has made us, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand to be our way of life. 
To understand this, we must first define some terms. Evil, trespass, sin, grace, faith, and good works. For if we do not understand these properly, we cannot understand what is being told to us in this passage. Evil is rebellion. Evil is the lack or privation of good. Trespass, transgression, is the first step toward sin. It is a secret thought, an ill intention. Sin is the actualization of a trespass. Grace is God's favor, a free and undeserved gift. Faith is trust in that promise, the promise of the good news, that we have been forgiven by God. Good works are works of mercy done in the nature of God. To quote Pope Francis, Jesus is the face of the Father's mercy. Ephesians 2, taken as a whole, and maybe even all of Ephesians itself, if it could be summed up in one word, that word would be mercy. As Pope Francis has said, mercy is the bridge that connects God and man. Mercy opens our hearts to hope, the hope of being loved forever despite our sinfulness. We are mistaken if we limit Ephesians 2, 1 through 10, to speaking of grace alone. For it is speaking of mercy, and above all, it is speaking of love and the nature of God. This passage is speaking of a love given gratuitously. That is what must be understood. All good works are works of mercy. To spread the good news of forgiveness and God's love is a work of mercy, a work of love. Grace is itself a demonstration of a merciful and compassionate love. And the grace we are granted as members of this eternal kingdom is from the one whom is God. The Lord is compassion, love, slow to anger, and rich in mercy, abounding in faithful love. Psalms 103.8. Without the good works of mercy, charity, and love, life becomes meaningless, cruel, and unbearable. In other words, faith without works is a faith without mercy. It's a faith without grace. And if mercy is the work of God and the work that God demands of us as members of his eternal kingdom, then a faith without works of mercy is a faith without God. As such, faith without works is dead. This passage contrasts living by grace with living by nature. Or to put it into other words, it wants you to choose between living by the spirit or living by the flesh. For by free will, we fell into sin. And so by free choice, we must accept the gift of God. That gift is grace and faith, which should not be separated nor parsed out. You should not parse out the plant from the seed that it grew from, or say that the water that it was given to live, or the sunlight that it was given to grow was unnecessary. Faith and grace is ours to accept or deny. Yes, his to give. And he gives freely by his absolute free will. That gift is a share in the divine nature. And again, we go back to my opening statement. What is God's nature? Love. You might hear in this debate other words, such as salvation and deliverance, justification. But these are not assured. They are instead future hopes for what is past tense for God has yet to happen for us. As long as we are in this mortal coil, we can fall. As I have said, faith is trust. And the physical sign of this trust is covenantal. It is formulaic. 
For we in baptism enter that covenant in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Once baptized, we are members of that covenant, regardless of whether we hear or observe the words of Scripture, let alone if we accept them. And being a member of a covenant does not mean that all shall be saved, for many shall be called, some will answer, and few will be chosen. But it does mean that you will be judged more harshly. What is missed by many is that intellectual assent is a secondary aspect of the life of faith. True, this secondary aspect is usually by means of trust in the words of the gospel. But not all men can read, nor can all men physically hear, but all men have a chance to be saved. That is our missions as Christians, to spread the word, the good news of God's love and forgiveness, and to do, work of sh and to do the work of showing God's mercy and charity, and to give hope to a fallen world. We on both sides agree, Grace and salvation are neither payment nor achievement. They are not transactional. But where we might disagree is that I, as a Catholic, believe that it is a free gift that must be either accepted or rejected. And where we might disagree again is that I personally believe that you have until your death to make your final choice either way. But that once you are dead, that choice is final. That does not mean that Catholics think that you can merit grace. For as the Second Council of Orange in A.D. 529 decreed, humankind was incapable on its own accord or by its own strength to perform works worthily of attaining eternal life. Only by the works of the Holy Spirit can we be humble, obedient, and loving in a manner that pleases God. Then you may ask, then what are good works? Well, as I understand them, these are to love God, to love your enemies, to love our neighbors, and to love ourselves in that order. We demonstrate this love through mercy, forgiveness, charity, almsgiving, selflessness, and in service to others. To understand this, you must understand that sin and trespass damages our relationship with God. Grace heals that relationship. For as the Catechism suggests, without grace, temptation will always be too intense to resist. Grace is infused in us at God's whim. And with its infusion comes the gifts of faith, hope, and love. And they cannot and should not be separated. Grace that grants the capacity to perform these meritorious works in love, faith, and hope. Yes, these are works, just as baptism is a work. A work of faith, not a believer's prayer, not merely reading the Bible. A little over one minute. To put into that puts us into a new covenant of grace in which faith can grow dramatically dynamically through works and deeds of love the more grace and the more faith one demonstrates the more one becomes like christ for as norton critical edition puts it in the king james bible when paul speaks of works he is referring to works of the law not to all works not to good works not to good deeds and not to works of the spirit Works of the law, that means dietary restrictions and circumcision. Circumcision, Not the ethical precepts that Jesus commands we still live by in the Beatitudes. Yes, we are delivered solely by God's grace. But God is also a God of judgment, and he does punish the disobedient. Hence Paul's warning not to sin as a means of demonstrating grace, for this would be testing God, which is strictly forbidden. For where sin abounds, grace abounds even more. 30 seconds. Oh, wow. You did. You had 
it literally exactly 30 seconds to go perfect all right so okay so, so let's see here now we're going on to five minute rebuttals and let me get my timer go uh, ready here let's see here okay and uh i believe michael you're up correct yep okay when you're ready let me know and you got five minutes when you say so i'm ready all right you got it floor is yours so I'd like to start the rebuttal with uh, showing all the similarities that me and Alpha have, and just to make sure that we're all familiar. We all, we both agree that good works are a necessary result of faith, meaning that there is no true faith without good works. He named them, there's, there's charity, there's almsgiving, there's kindness, there's all the inclinations that God should set you before you when you are truly a Christian. We both agree on this. We also both agree that no one can merit the grace of God. However, I'd like to, again, stick my finger in the, the opinion in which this whole debate turns. We both agree that no one merits the initial grace of God. However, this debate is not about whether or not God grants grace and that it's not from humans. It's about whether God finishes that grace. It's the extent of that grace. And I believe that if you read this passage in context, you will see that Paul speaks about this grace saving you through faith, and it's not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of works that no one can boast. And this same grace is the thing that actually saves you to the uttermost, as other passages would call it, perfectly saving you. So this grace is not something that just starts the process, but it also finishes the process of God's salvation, a process that involves good works. It involves running to the end. It involves persevering to the end, but it is started by God and it's ended by God. Again, out of Ephesians 2, and I would argue throughout the rest of the Bible, but for the sake of the debate, inside of Ephesians 2, this starting work of God is finished by God. None of it is merited. So not the initial grace and not the ending judgment. None of it is by works. One of the things that Alpha said specifically was that Paul says that you cannot merit by works and that works are separate from faith. Amen. Agreed. But then Alpha specifies that Paul is intending to say the works of the old covenant, specifically those that are done away with, because there's circumcision that we are now circumcised in the heart as fulfilled by Christ instead of the physical flesh. There's the old uh, meal laws in the Old Testament that are now fulfilled in Christ, as Christ clearly says to Peter in the vision and throughout the Gospels. We both agree that there are laws that are now fulfilled in Christ, amen, and that there are still laws that hold and abide to us today. I absolutely agree in the abiding validity of the law and that God has not done away with the law, but that it continues. However, I do not believe that the only thing that Paul is calling out is works of the old law. I believe he's talking about all good works. In fact, to go outside of Ephesians, I would point to Galatians and say, when Paul calls out the Judaizers who are trying, there are Christians that claim that you need to have Christ to be saved, but you must be circumcised. He isn't just referring to circumcision when he says, you who are trying to be justified by the law are anathema, you've fallen from Christ. He is also referring to anybody trying to be justified by any portion of the law. For he and any Christian would testify that you must keep the works of the law, amen, but it's not actually the saving grace. The grace is from God, not your own works. So I must reiterate that I believe that is where uh, he is mistaken on reading Paul, that the works that Paul refers Three to minutes. are indeed inclusive of all works, not just the Old Testament works. Equally, we can fall. We have assurance. We don't have assurance in Alpha's point of view from the Roman Catholic position. There is no assurance. 
You will walk day by day hoping you are in Christ, but not knowing you are in Christ. For my position, you know that you are in Christ because it is God's work that started it, and it's God's work that finished it. Yes, mankind has fallen by free will. Our father Adam fell, but our fallen natures would always choose against God. And when God starts a work in us so that we may choose him, we do choose him because God does not fail to save any he keeps. Again, I know it's a stretch from getting it just from Ephesians, but I'll reiterate where I think it is. Verse 8, the opinion text. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. If it were of your own doing, it would be our own choice. And Alpha said it again and again, it's our own choice whether or not to take God up on his grace. But this passage says nothing about that. And also this passage says that God is doing it for his own glory, not for the benefit of man. We also, of course, we benefit, but it's all to God's glory, and therefore, it's God that is the finisher and starter of our faith. I yield my time. Nicely done with 45 seconds to spare. So, Alpha, when you're ready, you let me know. All right. So, I'd first like to say that I am a sinner. I have sinned. And I sin all the time. I make mistakes all the time. And I ask God's forgiveness all the time. It doesn't take me going to a priest or me going to church or me receiving communion to know that God forgives. I do those things because God's gift to me is mercy. And I can demonstrate those mercy by living out those sacraments. Now, you would say, but we're justified by faith alone, by grace alone. And I can do the easy Catholic comment there. But the truth is that there are comments in the Bible where we are justified, as he said in his opening statement, by works in this case, by pregnancy, I think he said, by words in another passage it says. So there is more than one way to be justified, including by letting your cat in when you want to get in for a debate. But it is not simply about justification because as he said, we are saved in Christ because we were all children of wrath. But I can tell you that earlier today, I was a child of wrath. Does that mean that I lost my salvation? Or does that mean that through God's forgiveness, I can be forgiven again because he gives us time to decide, not because he saved us from every mistake, from every lash, from every illness, but because in doing so, he gives us the ability to accept that forgiveness again and again. He is eternal, we are not. So when we fail, when we fall, he's there to pick us back up if we accept him, not if we don't. For he also lets us go to hell because that is our will, not his. His will is perfect. Ours is the lack of perfection. Finally, Michael tries to balance sola fide with good works. I don't think it can be done. And he has not convinced me, as it is his positive case, to convince me that it can be done. I don't see how you can go by faith alone and not demonstrate them in a way that shows that God is working through you. Now, sure, you can say, Okay, this is only God's works, and it's not anyone else's. Fine, but God still wants you to do something. In the Beatitudes, Jesus wants you to do something. He tells you to go out and spread the word. That is an action. It is not 
simply, oh, you're safe. Don't worry about it. No, don't get baptized. You're fine. You're good. No, baptize. Baptize the eunuch. Love the eunuch. Love your enemy. Turn the other cheek. These are actions. I yield my time. All right. <clears throat> Nicely done. You had two minutes left. All right. So let's see here. Uh, this is going to be the cross-examination. Is it okay if I let my cat in so he stops me on? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go for it. While you do that, I will sing and I will juggle, but everyone just has to take my word that I'm juggling. You are a good juggler. Wow. Not two, but three chainsaws right now. Okay, now, now I have to put them down. Hold on. Let me put these back down. Okay. Uh, so uh, now we're going into cross-examination. Uh Alpha will get 10 minutes to examine Michael. Michael will get 10 minutes to uh, cross-examine Alpha, so on and so forth. Uh, let's see here. Whose turn was it? I can't remember how we were I doing think Alpha this should start this one. Yeah. Okay. Okay. So Alpha, basically, you have 10 minutes to where you can just drill Michael and hold his feet to the fire. But, of oh, course, he'll have the same. Uh, he gets to do the same to you. Hey, uh, tell me when. Uh when you're ready, go, and I'll hit the uh, timer. I'm ready. All so right. first off, there will be no grilling, as far as I know, as we are both Christians and believe in charity, something I have lacked at times. Michael, let me ask you, and um, excuse me for sounding a little pedantic. I'm not trying to. Was Abraham and Rahab justified by their works? In a according sense. According to the Bible. Yeah, in a, in a sense, they were justified. I know the passage you're talking about. Um, James would say that they were justified. However, um, I would I would elucidate that passage by saying the justification there is not justification as far as heaven and hell. It's a justification of them being saved, um, which is an entirely different justification. Do you think it is possible that Judas could be justified? I think it is possible. However, there's a passage where in, in John, Jesus prays for his disciples and he says that he's kept all of them except for the son of perdition, the one who's going to be lost. So I do not believe that Was Jesus, Judas, Judas ever saved at any point during his mission with Christ? I do not believe so. That's, again, Jesus reiterates that Judas was always going to be the one that he lost. He was not going to keep Judas, and so Judas fell. Did Paul at one point allow the death of an apostle? Yes, he was cheering on the stoning of Stephen. Is Paul saved? Yes. Was Paul always saved, even before he accepted Christ? He was marked out as one of the elect, but he was not actively regenerated. He was a, he was a child of wrath. Was Paul's suffering added to Christ? Yes, so he says. So how could he be added to Christ's suffering if Christ's suffering was already complete? It depends on the suffering that we talk about. So Christ's sufferings were greater than Paul's. And uh, he says where Christ's suffering lacked, he was filling up in suffering, which I believe is a turn of phrase. Um, of course, the actual payment that Christ gave was not just the suffering, but the death. So wherever Christ lacked in suffering, Paul was taking up, knowing full well that Christ had suffered the ultimate death. Do you believe that Christ gave you a mission? Yes. Do you believe that that is a work? Yes, the mission of God is a good work that he's prepared for us beforehand. 
do you believe that it is predestined for you to be to do the good work? Yes, as the end of Ephesians says, which uh, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should. Do you believe that people can not use their talent they were given beforehand? Absolutely, yes. How can that be consistent with what you just told me? I, I do not believe that God giving a talent necessarily means that it's going to be used. The Lord knows the ends of things, and so he gives talents knowing they will not be used. Was someone invited to the party of the wedding feast and turned away even after they were let in? Indeed, they were not robed in the proper clothes, which I believe means they were not actually graced. Is grace the only way to salvation? Yes, for by grace you've been saved through is faith. Is faith the only way to salvation? Is what? Is faith the only way to salvation? Faith is the only mechanism by which you can be saved, yes. Is faith and grace the same thing? No, it's by grace that we are given faith. So the, the vehicle is Is it is intellectually faith. consistent to say that two things are one? They are not one. They are different parts of the same message. Okay. What's the message? The message is that grace, a gift, is from entirely God. Again, I'm just going to reiterate Ephesians 8. For by grace, by grace, you have been saved through faith. So it's through faith that we are saved, but it's by grace. It's because Where do you get grace. this from? The the passage, it says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith. These are distinct things to Paul. Is, is there any place in the Bible where it says faith alone? Uh, there is. It's refuted in James. Okay. Okay, good. Um, one more question. How do you feel about this debate so far? That's good. I'm, I'm glad for okay. the ruling. Thank you on my time. Uh, I'm sorry, Alpha. What was that? I'm done. Oh, you're done. Oh, oh, all right. Okay. Well, uh, Michael, when you are ready, I mean, that was a quick 10 minutes. <laughs> but maybe quick too. We'll see ready. how he answers. <laughs> when you're ready, Michael, all go right. ahead and I'll start the timer. I am ready. All right, go for it. I don't know if you have the text in front of you, but I'd love for you to, to explain to me some passages if you could. I'm looking at Ephesians 5 in particular. Or, uh, please sorry, read 5. it to me or give me a short version of it because I'm, yeah. I'm not I'm a Catholic, I'm not a Protestant, I don't got verses memorized. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it out of <laughs> the ESV. Plenty of Catholics have it memorized, but nor do I. Uh, I'll, I'll read 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. My question is, how do you understand us being made alive together with Christ? So, from my point of view, the only true life, the only, as I said in my opening statement, the only absolute reality is that in God. Anytime we are, excuse me, anytime we are not in God, we are dead. So even though we may seem alive to each other, we are actually dead things for we are temporary. Only when we are eternal, that is in God, part of his body, are we actually alive. Okay. Can you then explain the next verse, verse 6, which says, And he raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. These are past tense verbs that he seated us, he raised us up. As I said in my opening statement, what is past tense for God is present for us, our maybe even the future, as God is outside of time. So since we are stuck in presentism and God is not living by the present, we have to live our lives going forward, 
we don't have the ability to travel in time. Maybe once the universe ends and we are one with God, maybe then. But as I have recently read, it is wrong for a Catholic to speculate that we are already there, even though that is a fun idea to think about. Okay, so would you agree that the author Paul in verse 3 says, also using the past tense, that among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind, that that is past tense as well, or is that pointing towards the future, as you say? I do agree that it that there are past tense principles. I always get that term wrong. There are past tense uh, words, yes. Okay, and so do you think it's consistent to read those as past tense and then those used in... Uh, verse 7 as future tense? I think that it's important to understand that if it is speaking through inspiration, which we both believe, then it is speaking from God's perspective. When it is speaking from man's perspective, which I do believe is also in the Bible, then the tense would shift. So you think it is God's perspective when Paul writes, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ and raised us up and seated Again, the emphasis on the past tense there, us with him in the heavenly places. You think the object there is God, not man? I think that when we are seated at the right hand of God, we are seated within Christ's body. So that is assuming that we are already in Christ's body. When we are not in Christ's body, it is no longer past tense. It is not future tense. It shifts. Would you agree in your opening statement, you said that Paul, when he talks about works, is not referring to good works. Would you agree that verse 10, which says that we are created for good works, is talking about good works? Uh, yes. So would you disagree with your opening statement when you said that when Paul refutes works, as in verse 9, when he says not a result of works, that he is talking about good works? No, I don't disagree with my opening statement, but I do think that when he says good works, he's talking about good works. And when he's talking about works in general, he's talking about different types of works. And this is consistent with church fathers' readings of those passages. So when it flows from eight to nine, so eight is for by grace you've been saved through faith. Nine says not a result of works. And then 10 says we were created for good works. You believe there are different kinds of works between eight and nine. I believe there are different kinds of works and that the meaning does shift, yes. And you would justify that because of church fathers? The church church fathers, yeah. I don't, I don't have anything deeper than that. I wish I did. Okay. So do you believe it's consistent with the exegesis of other texts to read this text with a break between verse 9 and 10? I believe that there are, uh, again, I don't know the Greek, so let's just assume that, the, that it's translated properly. Assuming that the translation is done properly, that there is a meaning shift in the wording, yes. Would you agree that the word for used in the very first word of verse 10 is a connector word, connecting the concept from verses 8 and 9 to 10? When he says for, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. For the sake of argument, I want to say yes, but I, again, I'm not a linguist. Okay. That would be outside of my, my realm of knowledge and specialty. I'll, I'll dive in past this. Um, you also said in your opening statement that the works that Paul refers to are not just, they're, that they're not good works when he says you, they are not a result of works that we are saved, but in fact, they are the Old Testament law. Do you believe Correct. that the Old Testament law is still valid today? How do you interpret the Old Testament law today? I agree with not only the church, not only the Catholic church, but I also agree with the way that it appears in the Beatitudes, which seem to be inversions of the Decalogue. I believe that's the correct term. 
of the Ten Commandments. I believe that when it's talking about ethical precepts, that those ethical precepts are still alive today. But I do not believe that the Talmudic, dietary, and other oral and priestly laws that are meant for, I believe it's called priestly laws, that are meant for uh, right living as a Jew are laws that are meant for Gentiles or for Christians. I think those are rules that are relevant to Jewish people who are in the Jewish covenant, which will never be broken. So yes, they are still relevant for Jewish people who have not yet accepted Christ. So do you believe, and this is outside of Ephesians, I admit, but do you believe that Christ abrogated those laws? Did he do away with no, them? No, I believe he, I believe that they came to completion through Christ, not that they have been abrogated. Okay, so in light of them being completed and the rest of the law you're saying is still valid, when Paul says in verse 9 here, not a result of works, how do you distinguish those works um, completed by Christ and those who are not completed by Christ in this passage? Any work that Christ himself tells us to do is a work that's still open and needs to be done. Any work that is in the Old Testament, such as not wearing synthetic fiber that's blended, it's not something that's relevant to today's life. Um, not mentioned yeah. by Christ, not mentioned in the New Testament. For the record, I agree that those those laws are fulfilled in Christ. So do you believe then that, that those laws, I'm just going to reiterate, that they are fulfilled by Christ? Those, those Old Testament laws that we no longer follow are fulfilled by Christ? Yes, are fulfilled and completed, while the ones that are reiterated by Christ to continue to be done are still alive because Christ himself says they are still alive. So do you think it's a proper reading of the text 8, 9, and 10 to say, for by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, it is a gift of God, not as a result of Christ's works? Is that no one can boast? Say that again. I'm sorry. I don't my my difference I... there from the passage is you say that when Paul says not a result of works, that no one can boast, those works he's speaking of are simply the Old Testament laws that are no longer required for us. So do you think it's a yes. proper reading to say not as a result of Christ's works so that no one may boast? No, because I would say that I, I'm not sure if I'm understanding you correctly. So let me reward it for you. Mm -hmm. If you're saying that the works that Paul says that we cannot take credit for are Christ's works, absolutely. If that's what you mean. We uh, cannot take credit the, for Christ's works whatsoever. The, the inverse. So Paul says that our our save, salvation here is not a result of these works. And when we both agreed that Christ is the one that fulfills those Old Testament laws, right. so if we are not saved through those Old Testament laws, are we not saved through Christ's work? We are only saved through Christ. And Christ fulfills, fulfills those yes. laws. He that fulfills we those requirements. Anymore. We don't need them anymore. They're fulfilled, so they're not required anymore. So, but they are fulfilled through Christ, and we agree that we're brought to God through Christ? Yes, Christ is the I, I might be being obtuse here, but I mean to say, 8 and 9 say, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, is the gift of God, not a result of works. And I would contend One that minute. this is all works, because Christ fulfills all the law. I, I, I do not agree that it is all works. That's where our contention is. Yes. I believe. I think that's where our contention Understood. is. Understood. Uh, I'll leave it be. Uh, you had said in your opening statement that grace is an undeserved gift. Um, do you agree with that? Absolutely. Do you believe there is a separation of the grace and the, the accepting of the grace here in Ephesians? 
Um, I believe that you have to accept grace, yes. It has to be an act of the will. Do you see that here in Ephesians? Um, when I read through it a billion times, yes. 20 seconds. Uh, do you? Could you point out the verse? Do you know another verse that would point me to where we choose God um, like that? I'm pretty sure it would end up being in the closing statement because I, again, I don't have it memorized. Okay. Sorry, my time. bad Catholic on this end. All right. That was exactly 10 minutes and three seconds. All right. Let's see here. This was uh, cross-examination. Let me see what else. Uh, I, I do have questions, genuine questions for both sides, because I do understand that that the whole, uh, hopefully y'all are okay with this lingo, once saved, always saved, mm -hmm. is, you know, it's debated among uh, Christianity. And uh, I found myself wondering those questions a lot when I was a Christian and uh, before I became a, an atheist. So, uh, Michael, I guess I'll start with you. Um, so, if uh, if if once you're saved, you're always saved. Does that mean if you like committed adultery, you would still be saved and go to heaven? And however you answer that, then I can go to Alpha, or Alpha can chime in, and then we'll yeah. just do this for a few moments. Uh, it's a great question. I think it comes up a lot in this debate, and I want to clarify the the proper Protestant position on it. There are French <laughs> Protestants who believe that. You do not need to repent. You don't need to show any signs of salvation in order to be truly saved. I am not one of those. That's a fringe group. They're called anti-lordship uh, people who do not believe you need to make Christ Lord to be saved. Um, we refute that idea. It's not evidenced in the, the Bible. The Bible clearly says that you need to evidence good works in order to know that you are saved. Um, what I would say fundamentally is that there are no sins that can separate you from God if you are his. So his grace covers all sins. So while I am elect, I'm saved, I'm paid for by the blood of Christ, I could commit adultery and still go to heaven because Christ paid for the, the sin of mm -hmm. adultery. Um, but it's not good for Christians to do adultery, and people who are habitually committing adultery are probably not saved. That's where I would say there. Okay. Um, okay, I can comment on this very, very briefly. Yeah, if, if, yeah, we'll keep it brief just uh, for structure sake. Yeah, go ahead. So for, uh, and actually Trent Horn, believe it or not, just made a video on this like literally two or three days ago. Um, so for Catholics, you would be out of a state of grace until you repent. And as he said, repentance is required on both ends. So for me, from my perspective, that is something that doesn't make sense on the Protestant side. You still have to repent if you're already saved. For me, that shows that there is a difference in sins and that there is a break in the relationship between Christ and yourself and between the Father and yourself and even between the Spirit which dwells within you and yourself when you commit these sins. Okay. So, uh, Alpha, no, I, I appreciate both answers uh, or responses. Alpha, so since you are on the side of no, it's not once you're saved, you're, you're just guaranteed free ticket to heaven. I'm not saying that's necessarily what Michael is saying, but uh, not trying to put words in anyone's mouth. So what about verses that talk about how no one can remove you from God's hand? I, I don't know the exact verse, but I'm sure both of you are familiar with, John, with it. John no 6. One can remove. Yeah. John 6. There you go. What do you, what do you make of that verse if you did not subscribe to OSAS? So uh, one of the things that I was going to hit on in the questioning of Michael, but he answered the questions perfectly that I was asking him that I didn't need to go there, was mm. I was going to 
uh, ponder with him on how to hermeneutically square up passages such as the rejected guests, such as James, with things like Paul, like in Romans or Ephesians or Galatians, because they don't match up. And if you just go on a strictly Protestant, simple reading, I don't see how you can get there. And I sent this in an email to him. I don't see how you can get there without either submitting Paul to James or submitting James to Paul. And as a Catholic and as a someone who likes to read literature, I'm not okay with that. The, the works have to uh, hermeneutically set up naturally. You can't submit them to each other. Otherwise, then there's a hierarchy. And we can that's a separate thing between utero canon and second and mm. primary canon. It's just for me, the Bible has to mesh. And if it's not meshing, there's a bigger problem there. In mm. and, and fairness, uh, Michael, do you have any comments on Yeah, I, I remember uh, we, we had kind of debated what our debate title should be, and uh, Alpha had suggested um, that one that I defend that, that James and Paul don't agree, which I, I definitely don't agree with that <laughs> stance. I agree with Alpha. I believe that James and Paul agree. Um, I think it's confusing sometimes for Catholics who come from a position where they, they use James, they have used James for about 500 years now to try to um, shoehorn in. Uh, works as being part of salvation and i would say fundamentally the reading of james is different than uh, ephesians here because they're talking about different things it's, it's just in the same vein that paul says that women are saved through childbearing um, but that's not talking about being justified before god it's the same thing that, that james is talking about he's talking about people with so-called faiths and that so-called faiths that don't do any works are dead and therefore you're not justified before men um with with a false faith with a faith that doesn't produce works whereas ephesians is talking about how are you justified before god not men and it's it's clearly about heavenly salvation not not justifying the fact that you have faith okay i got you well uh that that will be the end of my questions because by the time closing statements are done this should be a only slightly over an hour which i think is digestible for anyone who may want to catch the replay does that sound good to you too sounds great you are better than i think 80 percent of audience q and a's anyways <laughs> well thank you um i don't know who gets uh, i forget who went opening i was getting the last word so i will uh take the first okay <laughs> and let's see i believe it is five minutes yes five minutes all right. And when you're ready, just let me know, or just start talking. I'll set the timer. So for my closing statement, uh, I'd like to reiterate again the proper terms for this debate. The terms where let's walk through Ephesians chapter 2 verses 1 through 10 and see if they do in fact describe the Protestant uh, belief that you are saved by faith alone. I believe I exegeted the text well. We walked through each verse and not only was it read by Gurr, it was also read by me. We walked through each verse showing that one, uh, man was once dead in sin, which both me and Alpha agree. Two, that God made man alive, those he chose to make alive, he made them alive. And that once made alive, three, that gift of God, that making alive, is able to save them to the end. They are for, by grace, God's gift, saved through faith. And it's not their own doing, it's a gift of God, not a result of works that no one may boast. It's triple emphasized there by Paul that it is not the man doing the saving, but God. And it's not the man's works that are helping, but it's a gift of God. So we've got man was dead in sin, man is made alive by God, and then that making alive of God is purely from God. It's a gift. And then lastly, that this gift is not something that just is given and then does nothing to the man. They are resulting in works. So it's created in Christ Jesus for good works, these people who are gods, and that God prepared these good works before him. Again, reiterating the fact that these works are not boastworthy and they aren't a result of man. They're really a result of God. 
I think that was a clean exegesis of the text. I didn't have to grow into other texts. And I believe that this verse has taken in its context in all 10 verses. Um, and then afterwards doesn't say different things. This isn't out of context. What you saw uh, Alpha do is take a very large meta narrative over the text, which sometimes can be useful, but sometimes it can be uh, nuancing, obscuring uh, about God's love and that God is loving is so that this passage is really about God's mercy as he said, um, I agree, it's about his mercy. Verse four is, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love of which he showed us. But it also speaks on exactly how we are saved, and that is purely by God, and why God saves us. Again, because he wants to show his great love. That does not speak to man's free choice. It does not speak to, speak to his workmanship earning any of this. It doesn't speak to merit. purely speaks to the Protestant position. So again, I hope our viewers see that one of us exegeted the text thoroughly and then during a cross-examination that some of the the catholic positions that alpha holds don't hold up to the actual text itself for example there's no distinction between the works that paul says are not saving you and the works that are good um, there's no reference to the old testament laws there i don't believe the distinction can be made and if it was i think you'd have a real christological issue because christ fulfills those works so if we're not saved by those works and yet christ is our savior how does that mesh well um, i Again, I, I reiterate that you are saved by grace alone through faith alone. And anybody who wants to come to Christ must know this. They cannot add works to their saving grace. If they come to God thinking that they'll be justified by Christ and they will be damned because you cannot be saved by the law. And if you hold to any part of the law and then breach it, you are at risk of breaking the entirety of the law, which is straight from James, uh, a favorite book of Catholics. I yield my time. All right, beautiful. Two minutes to spare. So Alpha, when you are ready... You just say the word and I will, oops, sorry, get my timer ready. Yes, when, you're, when you start talking, I'll hit the timer. Five minutes when you're ready. All right, ready. Humanity are voluntary and willing slaves to sin. In Ephesians 2, according to both St. Jerome and Bishop Barron, Paul is speaking of what is to come as though it had already been done. Ephesians 2, 1 through 10 is not speaking about sins by compulsion. It is speaking against sins of the will. For we and this world were not created evil, but declared good by God well before the fall. To quote someone wiser than I, corruption or evil is the absence or privation of good. It is not by our created nature that we are slaves to sin, but by our own choices. Grace gives us the ability to resist this corruption. Our natures, our true natures, are not the natures that have been corrupted by this world and its current circumstances. People are not judged by their nature, but for their will. There, Michael is wrong. What, and it is what we willingly do and willingly not do. There, the Catholic Church is right. To paraphrase John Christensen, the prince of power is the prince of the air, and his goal is the denial of the oneness and unity of the singular God. As I hinted at in the questions that I gave to Michael, we should not separate these things. Paul's gentleness and considerateness toward his reader must be understood uh, and toward his reader's understanding and comprehension for the lack should not be confused for lack of accountability on the hearer for their sins. For humanity would rather follow the devil to hell than obey God to heaven. God demands obedience while the devil promises freedom, freedom that is not his to give and that can never be delivered on. 
to understand this, we should not imagine darkness as being equal to light, or falsehood as being equal to truth, or wickedness as being equal to goodness. One is a lack, a void. The other is fullness and completeness, lacking nothing. In Jerome's words, through the resurrection of Christ, we are mercifully saved despite our unworthiness. And I agree with Michael that without exception, all who are saved are saved by grace. But once saved, we are called to live accordingly. We can and must do good works. And yes, Michael is right. We don't have any right to glory in ourselves. God made us to be loved. Our purpose is love and to be loved. He paid our debts not merely by dying, as Michael hinted at, but also by rising, by defeating death. That is, by his resurrection, we paid our debt. Grace here, meaning that we are called because God loved us, because Jesus loved us, because the Holy Spirit loves us, not because of our excellence of our lives or for what be called ex or what could be called excellence next to God. What could even measure up to his word or his spirit? It is by grace, not because of our unworthiness, as Michael says, because that would be enough there. But God is greater than that. It is because of the fact that nothing that we can give God in return would be equal to what he bestows on us. So it must be by his freely given grace and not transactional. To paraphrase a Bible note, Paul's warning here is not against good deeds, but against pride and arrogance in ourselves. Think about it this way. What we are gifted and what we deserve are two different things. For your works, good or bad, are one thing, and what we deserve is another. Faith cannot merely be a rational assent of the mind or a sound of the tongue. It must be demonstrated. It has to be actively lived in a dynamic faith that grows through works in faith by grace. And I can close off by saying, James, so why not? For as it is with Abraham, as it is with Peter, as it is with Paul, so it is with us. You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was brought to completion by his works. And you see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. Done. Exactly 10 seconds to spare. <clears throat> well done. All right. Well, uh, to everyone watching, the links to both members are in the uh, description box. You can find Michael of Found Calls there, along with Alpha. Who and can sometimes... we let Michael say something to the audience since uh, this was his first debate on your channel? Oh, yeah, yeah, go for it. Michael, if you have anything to say, the floor is yours. Uh, well, we have a YouTube channel. We're on iTunes and Spotify. If you search us up on Found Cause, we do all sorts of things. Uh, you'll hear us take on Mormons and, and Roman Catholics and uh, atheists alike. Um, our most liked video, uh, I've got my co-host here on off the sides. Um, is, it, is it the atheist <laughs> one? We had a response from Paul Agia, if you know him in the, in the atheist YouTube community. Um, Who's Paul Agia? Gee, I'm just kidding. I, you know, I, I've heard that well, in any case, time or two he, before. He responds to one of our arguments. If you want to see us, um, our atheists think we got crushed in that comment section. So you can see us respond <laughs> to him and you can see the original video. Um, see if you agree. 
All right. Well, it, it was good having you both here. Please both stick around uh, backstage once we go off air, which we're about to be off air right now. Can I'll I self-promote? Oh, yes. Go for it. Um, so everybody who might be watching me for the first time because Found Cause is here, uh, I'm, a, I'm a Catholic. Uh, I am into philosophy. My channel is mostly dedicated to philosophy. Um, right now going through the Osberg Confession. I'm just about to finish that up, and I'll be heading back into Trent. I'm taking on Trent one session at a time. It's been going on for about a year. And after that, I will be returning to dissecting the Quran. And then from there, I will be going through either Matthew or the book of Revelation. And I do philosophy from time to time. So you can see all these books back here get read. So very good. And I'm glad you did talk so I could mute because I don't know if it was a, uh, a semi truck or what, but something super loud and just grating on my ears just drove by and it was like really loud. So thank you for that. All right, everybody, please take care. Thanks for tuning in. And uh, and again, check out the links to the description box. Uh, they're posted so y'all can find each of these beautiful people there if you want to see more of their content. All right, and good night.